for those that remain in the auditorium and as well are watching online, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn once again to the book of Leviticus and chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. And this morning we want to look at the end of the chapter. We're going to wrap up chapter 6, Lord willing, this morning with verses 24 through 30. I think most of you that know me relatively well uh, know that I enjoy laughter. I certainly enjoy poking fun and having fun poked at my uh, expense and in my direction. Uh, love a good prank as much as anyone and uh, certainly try not to take myself very seriously as we collectively here at Grace Baptist try not to take ourselves very seriously. And so we rejoice in laughter and we rejoice in having a good time. And yet, there are things in life that are heavy and there are subjects and realities in life that we need to take seriously. And so in the midst of humor and laughter, uh, we must be aware that the core of who we are and what we do has a seriousness to it, a sobriety to it. And as we come to this last part of Leviticus chapter 6, I think that is one of the things that has certainly stood out to me from this passage, in particular, verses 27 and 28. There is a seriousness here to these sacrifices. And certainly as we uh, wrap up or uh, begin to look at the sin offering and then wrap up with a look at the guilt offering starting in chapter 7, these individual offerings for the sin of the nation of Israel, specific sins, unintentional sins, but specific sins nonetheless, is a very serious thing. It's a very serious reality. And so I think it's something then that we must also take seriously. I believe this is certainly applicable and appropriate given the reality that we find in our world at this point in time. There's a lot of weighty subjects. There's a lot of heaviness in our world at this time. Heaviness of heart, no doubt, at the conflict that rages uh, in Eastern Europe. A heaviness of heart with uh, the separation and the isolation that has come as a result of two long years uh, with the COVID reality. And so many more. There's so many things that are on my heart and your heart, even as you're here listening this morning, no doubt. And so it is, I believe and, and hope, beneficial to, for us to stand in and under the weight of the glory of Almighty God. That certainly there are things that we can uh, make light of and find great happiness in. And God is not only a God of holiness and righteousness and justice and truth, but is also a God of love and grace and mercy and peace and joy. But I think it is helpful for us and hopeful for us to stand under the reality of his glory, his holiness yet again this morning. That even when life is hard and heavy, even when we come to the end of ourselves frequently, he is strong, he is almighty, he is the thrice holy God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all things. He alone is transcendent and mighty, awesome and glorious. He is God. And I believe that there is a great 
element of this that comes out of this passage for us this morning. So follow along with me, if you would, as we read Leviticus chapter 6, verses 24 through 30. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy, and when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash that on which it was splashed in a holy place. And the earthenware vessel on which it is boiled shall be broken. But if it is boiled in a bronze vessel, that shall be scoured and rinsed in water. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It is most holy. But no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. This is the word of God. And so in the first place this morning then, we just want to briefly revisit the sin offering. And so this is the sin offering revisited. This appeared first for us in Leviticus chapter 4 and portions of chapter 5. And Pastor Luke ably brought us through this offering. It is extensive. There's at least four or five types of sin offerings that could be made on behalf of the priests, on behalf of leaders, on behalf of the congregation, on behalf of non-leaders that are part of the congregation. And there is a whole category of sins of commission and omission. And again, Pastor Luke brought us through all of that. But I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves of some of the realities of the sin offering. Because again, as we've said, this now is from the perspective of the priests, whereas before it's from the perspective of the offerers. And so in the first place then, under the sin offering revisited, we have the reality this is an atonement is being made for unintentional sins. So someone has sinned against the law of Moses, uh, someone has sinned against the law of God given through Moses, They uh, did not sin with a high hand, they did not sin arrogantly, they sinned unintentionally, and either their sin was unknown to them uh, at the time and somebody brought it to their attention, uh, or they themselves recognized that it was sin and were repentant of it. And as that takes place, then they bring a sin offering before the Lord, and again, There's a number of different types of sin offerings that can be made, and we can catch up with that back in Leviticus chapter 4 and parts of chapter 5. Notice in this passage, in verse 25, it's mentioned that the sin offering is burnt in the same place as the burnt offering. And so atonement is woven through all throughout this. The burnt offering is to atone for the sins of the nation. It is the only offering that was completely burned up No one benefits from the offering of this offering, not even the priests. In similar fashion, the sin offering then is also about atonement. It is about reconciliation between God and man. That relationship has been broken. Sin has breached that relationship. It it has caused a rift between God and man that must be repaired. And so a specific sin offering then is offered on behalf of a worshiper, a leader, the priest, the congregation, any number of reasons, and is done for specific sins, uh, not necessarily a catch-all like the burnt offering, but for specific sins to repair then that relationship between God 
and man. And, and to link that concept then of atonement, the sin offering and the burnt offering offered in the same place on the bronze altar. Notice twice in this passage, this offering is called most holy to the Lord. In verse 25, it is most holy. And in verse 29, it is most holy. There is a seriousness here about this offering, all of the offerings to be sure. But God is not to be worshipped haphazardly. God is not to be worshipped through frivolity. There is a prescribed way in which to worship God just as there is a prescribed attitude or heart posture when coming before God. God is not to be taken lightly. And so the things that are discussed here in this passage, again, reflect the character of God. And he is a holy God, a fearful God, a consuming fire, an awesome God. And it is before him that we ought to both rejoice and tremble, as our friend Michael Reeves has reminded us in his excellent book. And so this offering then is described at least twice in this passage as most holy. There's a seriousness here about this offering, as with all of the offerings. But it is a good reminder for us again this morning. In the fourth place, portions could be eaten of this offering, depending on the type of sin offering that it was, by holy individuals only in the holy place. And so after a sin offering was made by a worshiper, by a regular Israelite from uh, the nation, portions of that sin offering, not the burnt offering, but the sin offering, were given then to the priests and they could eat it. So they would prepare it. They would boil it uh, in some form or fashion or use some sort of, of dish to prepare it in as a meal for themselves and for, uh, for Aaron and his sons, for the priests. It could only be eaten inside of the tabernacle complex. It could not be taken outside of those, uh, that fence, that fabric fence. It could only be eaten inside of the tabernacle con- con- complex and could only be eaten by the priests. And so then the last case, you notice in verse 30, but no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It should be burned up with fire. Depending on the type of sin offering, sometimes blood was taken that was not just poured out at the base of the bronze altar, but sometimes the blood that was collected was actually taken into the tabernacle tent, into the most holy place, not the holy of holies, but into the holy place, and it was either sprinkled against the veil of the temple that divided the holy place from the holy of holies, uh, or it was put on the altar of uh, the horns of the altar of incense inside of the tent of meeting. And in those cases, sacrificed offer on behalf of the high priest or on behalf of the congregation as a whole, in those cases the priest did not receive any benefit from these offerings. These sin offerings could not be eaten by the high priest. He could not benefit from his own sinfulness, nor could he benefit from the nation's sinfulness as a whole, of which he was a part. There was no inducement then to sin. We sometimes can get our things, uh, ourselves twisted up in our thinking, and Paul even references in the book of Romans Where sin abounds, Paul says, grace abounds even more. And then he specifically answers that question, oh, okay, so we need to sin more so we can get more grace. And Paul says, God forbid, may it never be. That's not the point. And nor was it here. 
So any priest that sinned could not sin then on purpose, but sort of covered as an unintentional sin, bring a sin offering for himself and thereby get a nice leg of lamb uh, or a nice roast. No, there was no benefit coming to the priest from a sin offering offered for him, nor was there any personal benefit from a sin offering offered on behalf of the nation as a whole of which he was a part. And so it was only for the sins of individuals, whether they be leaders or non-leaders within the congregation, that the priest could benefit from. And so again, the seriousness of this system and the holiness that is just ensconced in all of this, that just surrounds all of this, is just amazing. The, the prescription of how to worship God and, and the care taken with all of that is just amazing. And the detail here. So again, the priests as protectors of God's holiness needed to take very seriously the holiness of God and the sin offering was no different. And so for us again this morning... How seriously do we take the holiness of God? And not just in the sense of our own sinfulness and our need to repent, but also the weight of God's holiness, that it is our primary message. We are to protect it and proclaim it above all else and not to be distracted by lesser, although perhaps important things. This carries weight. So when we are weighted down by the cares of this life, by the realities of this life, if we spend time sitting under and in and resting in the holiness, the weight of the holiness and majesty and glory of our thrice holy God, that is where we need to be. Our hearts rest easier when they rest in the one who is bigger than our sins, the one who is bigger than our problems, the one who is bigger than anything, they rest easy in that. And so when we feel scared, when we feel fearful, when we feel shaken, uncertain, when any of these things happen and so much more, the best balm for our soul is to bask in the character of God. And this is what this offering amongst many does. It brings the worshiper to God and repairs the relationship between the worshiper and God so that he can continue to bask in God's holiness and not be repelled by it, scared by it, but instead to be drawn in by it and to embrace it. And so it is the same with us because of the Lord Jesus Christ God is fear-inducing or ought to be. It is those that do not fear him that do so to their own peril. And that is foolishness, as we know. It is great wisdom to submit to the holiness of God. But because of Jesus Christ, that does not repel us, that does not push us away, that does not cause us to be more afraid, but no, it causes us to rest. It causes us to have joy and peace and comfort and calm because we know that God is bigger than all of our issues, all of our problems, all of the sin in the world and all that that causes. He has made the world. He is remaking his people through Jesus Christ and he will one day remake the world finally, the new heaven and the new earth. So we can rest in that.
So the second point too then, and again what intrigued me as I was studying this was in particular verses 27 and 28, which we sort of skipped in the first point. There's new information here that we have not had previously. Notice in 27b through 28, any of the blood that is used in the offering, if it splashes on the garments of the priest, so as they're pouring it out at the base of the bronze altar or as they're dipping their fingers and sprinkling it around inside the holy place, if any of that blood spattered on their garments, their white linen garments, those robes, those clothes needed to be washed, cleansed ritually. And the bowl or whatever they used to cook the meat or serve the meat needed to be taken care of also ritualistically. If they used an earthenware, a clay a pot of some kind, they needed to actually, after they used it for the meal from the portion of the sin offering that was allotted to them, they needed to actually destroy it, break it, so that it was, it was done, it could not be used again. Commentators suggest that because this clay would not have been glazed, it's a very porous material, and residue from the sacrifice, uh, residue from the meat, might have gotten into the clay, and therefore it could not be fully cleansed of the residue from the sacrifice, and therefore needed to be destroyed. If it was a metal bowl, a bronze bowl, a brass bowl of some kind, then they again ritualistically cleaned it, scoured it, which is a very intense cleaning, and rinsed it with water. What do we see here then quickly from this reality? We know two things and under the title of the sanctity of life. It's a serious thing. Sin is a serious thing. It is a breach between us and God. It is ultimately a rejection of his lordship over our lives. It is, again, ultimately us putting ourselves in his place, elevating ourselves to the place of God, and attempting to devalue him to a lower place under us. It is heinous. It is insidious. It is horrific. We oftentimes don't see our sin that way. And perhaps in these 2,000 years post the cross, we have been desanitized to much of this. Certainly the sacrifices. I do not believe I've ever seen an animal sacrificed for sins. I have seen some animals being butchered, but I don't believe I've seen an animal being sacrificed uh, for anyone's sin. At least not alive, certainly. I don't know if any of us here this morning have. We certainly do not even have a full understanding and a rich picture of even the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We attempt, perhaps, on Good Friday and other places to paint some of that picture and the gruesome reality of crucifixion, but it's very difficult for us to picture that. And so we're, we're, we're many steps back from this reality, and yet... An animal had to be killed. Something had to give up its life so that the sinner could still live. And that is a serious thing. And so you note here, no blood is wasted. No blood from the animal sacrifice is wasted. If it even splatters on the priest's garment, they, they need to be washed. There's not, there is no carelessness with the life of the animal. 
This animal gave its life for this worshiper or for the nation to cover and to cleanse their sin. And that sacrifice was not taken lightly. And then, of course, as we've already mentioned in verse 28, no residue from the sacrifice is to remain. So whatever portion was allotted to the priest and his sons in the holy place, in the environs of the tabernacle, even as they ate it, they were to recognize that this is most holy to the Lord. And no residue from this could remain. If it was an earthenware, a clay pot, they had to break it, destroy it. Uh, and if it was a metal bowl, they had to cleanse it. Again, clay was fairly easy to come by. These earthenware uh, jugs and pots, this type of pottery is probably the most uh, frequent artifact found by archaeologists. It's everywhere. This is not necessarily a waste, but it is a recognition of the sacrifice that was made. And so for us, we say as believers in Christ that we believe in the sanctity of life and I hope that we do and I believe that we do but it means more than just being anti-abortion it means that we take seriously every life in particular human life because every human life is made in the image of God bears the imago Dei but all life. Our God is a God of life. He gives life. He is the origin and source of life. And so if we are to follow him as those that represent him, we ought also to be proponents of life. We ought to protect life, proclaim life. Not just the beginning of life, but also at the end we live in a culture that is becoming more and more cavalier about death. That ought not to be the case for us who love God through Jesus Christ. We have to love life. We also ought to hate our sin, recognizing the severity of it. Our sin bears the penalty of death. And so for in order for us to live, death needs to occur. And as we've been talking through this, in the nation of Israel, this was a frequent occurrence. At the very least, every day, a burnt offering was offered in the morning, at sunrise, and at sunset every evening. And two in the morning and two in the evening on every Sabbath. And then other sacrifices are offered as occasions may require. The nation of Israel had a constant reminder of the tragic results of rebellion against God. It was constantly there before them. This is the cost of sin. Innocent animal lives need to be given so that guilty human lives can be spared. This is our God of grace, and this is a serious thing, and our sin ought to also be taken seriously by us. Notice then we missed just one little phrase at the start of verse 27, 27a. And so in our third point this morning, we see the sanctity of God. Notice it says there, whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. This is reminiscent of verse 18 of this chapter. And we spent a good deal of time when I was preaching through that, so we won't belabor this point. But holiness, as we mentioned there, is from God alone. Holiness cannot be caught. Holiness is not contagious. Sin is. 
but holiness is not. And Haggai 2, 11 and 12 remind us of that. God, through the prophet Haggai, asked the priest, if somebody touches something that is holy, do they become holy thereby? And the priest rightly answered, no. As the passage continues, but if you touch something unclean, you can be ceremonially made unclean yourself. You can't catch holiness like the flu or the cold or a virus like COVID. Holiness comes from God and God alone. And so what do we have here? Is it saying then that the priest, by touching this portion of the sin offering that was allotted to them, that they thereby are made holy? I don't believe that that is what this is saying. I believe it is saying that those that are holy, those that are holy can touch it. But it also could be saying, as we mentioned a couple sermons ago, that those who touch it must be aware of the holiness of God and the holiness of the sacrifice to God, something Uzzah did not take seriously, and it cost him his life as he tried to catch the Ark of the Covenant as the oxen stumbled, and he thought the Ark was going to fall off of the ox cart. These objects, these sacrifices, are tied to worship of God, and so they are declared by God to be holy. They are to be taken seriously. And any priest that does not do so, does so to his peril. And so it is the same with us. Yes, we are forgiven and free and loved in Jesus Christ. And that is an amazing truth, and we thank God for it. And yet, that does not give us license, permission, to treat God lightly. To treat God as less than who he is. He is holy. He is holy other. He is transcendent. He alone is glorious. He alone is worthy of all of our honor and glory and praise. And so as we wrap up then this morning, I want to turn our attention then to the sanctity of the cross. We have seen in the sin offering the sanctity of life, especially through the life of the sacrifice given for the sacrificer. We've seen the sanctity of God, but we note the sanctity of the cross. I hope that we are thankful for what Christ has done for us. But I often wonder, because I know myself, how often we actively think about that and how much that actually impacts how we live, how we think, how we behave, the causes that we get behind, the things that we promote, uh, the relationships that we have and, and the things that we talk about and these types of things. Someone observing us, well, they observe an individual who is grateful for Christ's sacrifice on their behalf. Just in our Bible reading this week, a number of things popped in from the Gospel of Luke. One is the ten Samaritans, or the ten lepers, sorry, that are cleansed. Jesus says, go present yourself to the priest. You couldn't do that, as we'll walk through later on in Leviticus, unless you were actually clean. And so it took a measure of faith on their part to believe Jesus as they're going to present themselves to the priest, they are cleansed of their leprosy, and yet only one, a Samaritan, comes back and thanks Jesus. And then you have Jesus' parable of the Pharisee who is in the temple uh, complex praying and saying, thank God that I am not like th uh, the other sinners, and I'm certainly not like that gentleman there, that, that individual, that tax collector, uh, that uh, traitor. And yet this 
Jewish tax collector, this individual who is collecting money for the occupying forces of Rome, won't even look up to heaven, but instead beats his, his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think you find individuals that are grateful for Christ's sacrifice on their cross, oftentimes through their humility. Individuals that do not necessarily think less of themselves, but think of themselves less, as our brother Tim Keller has so eloquently put. Individuals that serve, individuals that love, individuals that have a generosity, individuals that do not make themselves the hero of every story, individuals that readily admit when they're wrong and ask for forgiveness. In general, then, individuals that know themselves and who they truly are, that they are sinners, but also because of the love and mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit, they're also saints. And there is a spirit about them that is a spirit of humility, a spirit of gratitude. And so we see that Christ's life is precious, 1 Peter 2.4, Matthew 17.5, in the Matthew passage, God says about his son, the father speaks from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Christ's life is so precious to us. It's not just his death. We talk much about Christ's death and his shed blood on our behalf. And we're going to celebrate that in just a few moments around the Lord's table. But his life is precious to us. Because it is the righteousness of his life that is applied to us. He lived the life that we should live and don't and can't and don't even want to. And so his life, his incarnation, his becoming one of us ought to be such an an immensely and intensely precious thing to us. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming like me, for becoming like us, for becoming human. He is our only hope. And I pray that his life is precious to us. Christ shed blood is precious. We've mentioned this passage already, but 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. How precious is that blood? If the blood of any number of these sacrifices is precious and treated with such care by the priests, how much more precious is the blood of of Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. How much more precious is Jesus Christ on that cross, bearing the weight, the penalty of our sin, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That blood, his life for ours, how precious that is and ought to be to us. And his resurrection, is precious. In the entirety of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes the point that if Jesus Christ has not risen back to life from the dead, then we are of all individuals most miserable. But since he has, thanks be to God, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? Sin and death conquered by Jesus Christ, proven through his resurrection. How precious is he, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, his advocacy for us, he and the Father sending the Holy Spirit to us, his church, his word, all of these things ought to be so precious to us. 
And so, Grace Baptist Church, as we close this morning, our response is, do we treat as precious that which God does? Are there things in our lives that we are taking lightly, that we are treating either with an indifference or even a contempt that God treats as precious? That individual that you have a grudge against in your heart. That individual that you have a hard time even looking into their eyes. That individual was made in the image of God. They are precious to him. Are they precious to you? Precious enough to swallow your pride and go talk to them. Tell them where they have sinned against you and ask for their forgiveness for where you've sinned against them. That individual that does not hold the same views as you do on things that you hold as very important, that individual that it seems so easy to vilify and to even hate, that individual that you just have such a difficult time interacting with, They seem to represent everything that you're against. That individual is made in the image of God and is precious in his sight. That individual who currently hates God, who despises him, denies him at every turn, that individual is loved by God. Paul knows what it's like to be a recipient of God's love, an undeserving recipient of God's love. Because he said, I am a chiefer sinner than the rest of the apostles because I persecuted Christ's bride. I attempted to imprison and kill believers in Jesus Christ. I don't deserve to be one myself, but now I am because of his mercy and grace. So do we treat as precious the things that God treats as precious, the individuals for whom his son died. Do we also then treat as precious things that God does not? Do we hold dearly to our secondary items, to things that we have elevated higher than the gospel that we do not find in God's word as being precious and dear to him? As always... The word must be our guide. And so again, Grace Baptist Church, as we sit here this morning heavy with the reality of all that is going on in our world, are we resting in the glorious weight of the holiness, majesty, goodness, and greatness of our God? Does that reorient our fears, reorient our worries and anxieties? We have rest and stability and strength in him. And does it help reshift and reshape our priorities? So we begin to see things through his eyes. We begin to call precious what he does. We begin to care about the things that he does. We begin to pray that his will be done. And we pray that it starts with us. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we do thank you.
for your great love for us. We are undeserving of it. Father, there is much that is weighing on our hearts and minds this morning. Help us to rest in you. Thank you that you take sin seriously. You do not wink at it. You do not mock it or laugh about it. But you take it seriously, so seriously, that out of an abundance of love for us, you sent your Son to bear the full weight of it so that we would not have to. Father, thank you that you hold us precious. If, as your son said when he was here, not even a sparrow falls outside of your plan, outside of your loving, gracious sovereignty, then, Father, how much more do you care about us? And so our hearts are heavy, but we can rest in you as we understand that nothing is outside of your control. We praise you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.